Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and you are listening to episode 64 of the show. And today we're talking about a topic that I truly never get tired of discussing. Today we're talking all about travel. I know it's something that's pretty limited at the moment, but since we can't do it, we can at least dream about it, right? You may have heard the terms mindful travel or responsible travel before, and if you're like me, you always wondered what exactly that meant. So I invited Erin, the host of Alpaca My Bags podcast on the show to teach us about responsible tourism, and I truly learned so much from her. Erin is a travel blogger and podcaster who, through a lot of experiences traveling the world, has become very passionate about experiencing other countries and cultures in a way that's good for the planet and good for its people. Today we're discussing her top tips for being a more mindful traveler, and like I said, I learned a ton from her. A lot of these things were completely new to me and will definitely impact the way I travel from now on. And I'll be totally honest, I used to think that responsible travel meant that you had to do some kind of beach cleanup or something like that when you went on a trip, and obviously that's not a bad idea, but we're talking about much more than that today, so I think you're going to learn a lot from her. In part one that you're listening to now, we're discussing more so the ethical side of traveling in regards to acknowledging diversity and being respectful of other cultures and things like that. Next week in part two, we'll focus more on the sustainability side of travel. I had such a fun time talking with Erin, and I truly knew we would get along well when she told me she was a fellow Bachelor fan, so we of course had to spend some time discussing the latest season that's on currently, but no matter if you're a Bachelor fan or not, and no matter when you're next going to be able to hop on a plane, you are really going to enjoy having Erin on. While you're listening, I would love to ask you to leave a review for the show. Reviews help more people to find the show, they're positive affirmation for me, and I give away money when a review is left, so there are tons of good reasons to do it. I want to take a second to acknowledge someone who left a review. This one is from David, and they said, Truly enlightening. Love the topics being brought up on this podcast. Learning things you don't normally think about in everyday life. Thank you for bringing this knowledge to the world. Excited to hear more. Thank you so much, David. That was such a nice review. And really, writing a review truly only takes a few minutes. I have instructions on how to do it on Apple Podcasts if you need them, so you can view those on my website if needed. That's heartfelthippie.com. And that's all I have for you. I'll leave you alone as you write your review now and quit talking. But here is my conversation with Erin. All right. Hey, Erin. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm really excited to talk with you today. Can you just start with introducing yourself for everybody? Absolutely. So my name is Erin. I am Canadian. I am a marketing professional by day and a blogger and podcaster by night. I host the podcast Alpaca My Bags, which focuses on exploring how to be a responsible tourist. And I also blog about responsible tourism on my blog, Pina Travels. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, first, I, I maybe I did know that you're Canadian, but I might have forgotten. Uh, are you in Canada right now? Yes, I am. I'm in Toronto. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I love the name of your podcast. It's super fun. I, I think I found you on Instagram first before I found your podcast, but I mean, I love all things traveling, so I was really excited to talk with you because I feel like people are becoming more aware of this concept of like mindful traveling. And it's something I really want to learn more about because, like I said, I'd love to travel. I know you love to travel, and I obviously want to do it in a way that's good for everybody and good for the planet. So 
I'm really excited to talk with you. And I have to say, I knew you were my kind of girl when you asked if we could reschedule because of conflicts with The Bachelor being on TV. <laughs> I was like, yes, there are not many reasons that I would be like, yeah, totally, let's reschedule. But that is uh, 100% one of them. <laughs> and it's the first Black Bachelor. I had to watch I know, it. <laughs> I know. And I love him. Like everything he does, I'm like, you're such a good person. I know. He's such a sweetheart. <laughs> yes, he is. And then there are some girls where I'm like, oh man, you just, you clearly don't belong. <laughs> Did you watch it last night? I only caught half of it. I, I stream it and my stream ended okay. up like not working properly, which oh, was so no. disappointing. So I'll probably watch the other half tonight. Okay. Well, I, I won't spoil anything for you, but I will say you'll be disappointed because it ends with a to be continued, which always makes me mad. Of course. <laughs> like, come of on. course they had to do that. <laughs> so yeah, but no, I'm really excited to watch this season. Even the first night, uh, my husband and I usually watch it together. And the first night when he like, you, you could just tell he was like genuinely nervous and really just off an authentic person. And when he like walked in and he was like, I kind of forgot everything I was going to say. So I'm just going to pray for us. My husband was like, okay, he's officially the best bachelor there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> It was really cute to see how nervous he yeah. was because he's never been on this show before, which is unusual. Like usually the lead has done a season. Yeah. So, and you could really feel that. I really Yeah, liked I liked it too. I'm like, they should probably do this more often. Like get someone in there, yeah. got a, a fresh face. So yeah, I liked it. And each of the girls that he gave a rose to that first night, I was like, I feel like he already knows those are like his top three girls. Like I feel like he's going to end up with one of them. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> he sure. He did a good job picking, so... Anyways, okay, so the real reason we're here to talk about Mindful Traveling. Um, so like you said, you have the podcast, you blog, and well, let's start with the name of your blog. I know you said it's called Pina Travels, and I, I was reading a little bit about that, but do you want to tell us where you came with that name? Yeah, definitely. So when I was 19 years old, I moved to Italy to work in a hostel. I had traveled there the year prior, and I'd really fallen in love with the city of Venice. So I decided I'm just going to take a break from school and go and live there for a bit and work in a hostel. So that's what I ended up doing. And I worked for an Italian family. And they actually couldn't pronounce my name very well. Okay. And so the people I worked with made up a joke about calling me Peanut because (laughs) I'm allergic to peanuts. Okay. And then I guess like the family, the, the Italian family we worked for, kept hearing them calling me that. And so they picked it up, but they morphed it into Pina. And just like over the course of my time working there, it just turned into my name and everyone called me that. Okay, so that's not necessarily an Italian, like authentic Italian name. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I don't know. It could be, but okay. I think it was just easier to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fun. That's kind of fun to have your your traveling name <laughs> for when you're yeah, not so at it's, home. It's like my alias now yeah, in the travel yeah. world. Yeah, that's so fun. Okay, so like you said, you went to Italy, you took some time off of school. So yeah, how did you first become so passionate about traveling? Like maybe you could tell us some of your favorite places that you've been or yeah, just what led you to this desire to kind of make it more than just a hobby? Yeah, I have to attribute it all to my parents. From the time I was a child, they really fostered this curiosity in me about the world. Mm -hmm. Um, They had traveled extensively together. And so, you know, like all around the house, there were these little trinkets that they would bring home from trips and they had all these photo albums. And so I just grew up like 
with all this exposure to worldly things Mm -hmm. and it just inspired a lot of questions in me and oddly enough like I didn't travel that much with my parents as a child like they just didn't have the money to bring our entire family overseas so we did a lot of travel within Canada but as I got older they really started to encourage me to go out and explore the world on my own and so when I was 16 I took my first trip which was to the Netherlands and my parents put me on a plane by myself and I flew over and I stayed with some family there And then after that, I was just obsessed and I would work every summer to Mm -hmm. save up whatever I could to go on another trip. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, I haven't stopped since. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. And I can kind of relate to you. My my dad, I mean, my we went on a lot of trips, but mostly domestic um, when I was growing up. So I always loved traveling from when I was little. But my dad works for Boeing. And so he he would go on multiple international trips a year. So he would go to all these places around the world, like in Asia and in Europe. I mean, he would just go all over. And so I'd always be hearing about it. And I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to do that. I want a job that sends me everywhere. But yeah, so I, I can relate to that. And I feel like I love all the places that I've been, but every time I am planning a trip, I'm like, okay, we have to go somewhere new, like, because there's so much to see out there. So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. So, okay, you mentioned your blog and podcast. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about like kind of the topics that you cover in those and what inspired you to start them? Yeah, absolutely. So both are focused on responsible travel. And I guess by that, we mean focusing on learning actionable ways to travel in a way that is socially responsible. So this Mm -hmm. includes everything from like sustainability to learning about how to avoid cultural appropriation and over tourism. Mm -hmm. We've touched on topics like black people traveling, um, diversity in the travel industry, indigenous travel. It really runs the gamut from like sustainability to issues of diversity which is really cool because I feel like that that's kind of my heart in general like a lot of the things that I talk about on my show are I I say sustainable and ethical because it's either like dealing with the environment or dealing with ethical issues with humans and so I I feel like you're covering those things that I'm really passionate about specifically to travel so that's really cool and what kind of led you to start learning about this yourself because I'm assuming as I mean maybe your parents had taught you about this from the get-go but I was wondering if there was like an experience you had while you were abroad that made you think like oh okay I need to be a little more mindful when it comes to my travel yeah like I wouldn't say that there was a particular moment it was more so Mm -hmm. that I started noticing things when I was traveling and those things would stick with me And I would just find myself thinking about something that I'd seen or experienced long after the trip. So I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Venice, when I was working there, that was, I think, maybe the second or third time I'd been abroad. And I'll never forget this night. um, Because I worked in a hostel, the hostel would take people out in the evenings to go to the bars. This was like very common Mm -hmm. in hostels. Mm -hmm. And I was out one evening with a bunch of people on... I guess you would call it a pub crawl. And everyone, of course, was very rowdy. Everyone was having a great time. But in Venice, in the evenings, it's very, very quiet. The locals Mm -hmm. 
um, shut everything down quite early. And as soon as it's dark, like the city does become very, very quiet. Right. So we were being disruptive. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I can acknowledge that. And someone leaned out of a window and dumped water out to try oh. to send us a signal. <laughs> and I'll just never forget, like everyone was so upset about this, which of course, like makes sense as an initial reaction. Yeah. But I found myself later, like really thinking about that moment and thinking about why it happened and what led to it. And I guess it was the first time that I really thought about the impact of tourism on local communities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would just say little moments like that throughout my travels have just always stuck with me. And I started thinking about how I didn't see this talked about very much, especially mm-hmm. on social media, which is like such a highlight reel. I was like yeah. wondering where the conversations about more critical things were when it came to travel. And so that really sparked yeah. my desire to yeah, open up a blog and start a podcast. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm seeing it a little more now, but it's I mean, there's so many like travel blogs out there, but not that many people talking about doing it responsibly. So that's pretty cool. What are I know you mentioned kind of generally what you discuss on the blog and the podcast, but what are some of the topics that you're most passionate about covering? We're going to cover some of them as we go on. But what are some of the topics that you're most passionate about? And specifically, I was wondering, because I read this on your blog, I was wondering if you could tell us what travel privilege is and what dark travel is. Sure. So before I get into travel privilege and dark tourism, I think it's important to talk a little bit more about what we mean when we say mindful travel. And that's because I think it's really a mindset and a practice. So rather Mm -hmm. than a particular topic about mindful travel, I'd say I'm most passionate just about encouraging people to think about travel in a critical way. So Mm -hmm. that means just taking the time to think about for example, what businesses you're supporting when you're traveling and thinking about the impact of a flight versus a bus trip. So it's the practice Mm -hmm. of thinking about the impact you're having while you're traveling. Travel privilege. So first, I think it's important to touch on what just privilege is. Yeah. So that's a special advantage that you have over the rest of a population. And being privileged usually doesn't require any work to be done because it's rooted in privileged systems. So those are things like Mm -hmm. classism, sexism, racism. And that's why people talk about having to acknowledge your own privilege when you're benefiting from a system. It can be really, really tough to see and understand how you're benefiting from it because you just do. So you don't notice it. Yeah. And so then when you apply that to travel, you have travel privilege. And this concept points to the advantages a person may have when it comes to traveling or accessing different places around the world. And there are various reasons why not all people have equal access to the planet. Um, So I find a really good example for demonstrating this is to cite passport privilege. So so I'll flesh that out for you. So I have a Canadian passport and it allows me to visit 183 countries and territories without a visa and with visa on arrival. This is a lot of passport privilege. I think it's like the number four passport in the world in terms of access to Mm -hmm. other countries. So and what that means is like I rarely ever have to think about visas or consider whether I would be rejected from entering a country. And other countries don't have as much passport privilege. So, for example, a Kenyan passport will grant its holder visa-free access to 72 countries, um, which is like less than half that a Canadian Mm -hmm. passport has. So that's passport privilege. And that's like one of the Mm -hmm. types of ways that travel privilege is impacted. Gotcha. 
And the other one was dark tourism, yes? Yeah, yeah, dark tourism. Yeah, so dark tourism is a topic I've touched on a bit on the blog, but we actually did two episodes of the podcast dedicated to this. Okay. So it's also known as black tourism or grief tourism, and it's tourism that's associated with death or with tragedy. Okay. So I'd say like the most classic example that most people know is the Nazi concentration camp Auschwitz, which is in Poland. And Uh, Auschwitz is known as a common tourist site. Mm -hmm. So like when people go to Poland, they typically go there. But when you really think about it, it's like quite dark that people travel there because it's it's a site of mass human suffering and injustice Mm -hmm. and death. Mm -hmm. And it's a site that holds a lot of meaning for the Jewish community. So that's why when you visit, it's treated as a very educational experience. Mm -hmm. And that's to counter the fact that it's such a site of suffering. So I think Mm -hmm. with dark tourism, like it sounds like it's a bad thing, but it actually isn't bad. It's just acknowledging that a visit to such a place should be treated with extra thought and with extra care. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for breaking down those terms for us. And yeah, I I think people kind of get the gist now of what we mean when we, we say responsible tourism or mindful tourism. So I want to dive in more into your tips on how to travel mindfully and responsibly. And you had actually written a blog post that was about your top 10 tips for mindful traveling. And so we're just going to go off of that and kind of have you explain what each of them means. And a lot of these were new concepts to me. I think for most people they will be. So I'm I'm excited to have you kind of explain more to us. But the first one is acknowledge diversity, which you mentioned diversity is one of the things you're really passionate about talking about and learning about. So how does one acknowledge diversity while they travel within countries and uh, between countries? Yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge that not every country is homogenous. There is so much diversity within countries. And I find that a really good example for demonstrating this is India. So in India, for example, there are 22 major languages, over 720 dialects, and people across the country belong to different ethnic groups who have different traditions, culture, and religion. And so that really demonstrates how you can't lump all of India into one category as like one homogenous group. And I find that Mm -hmm. that's something that um, isn't talked about a lot in the travel community. And it should be. Yeah. I also want to mention that there is another aspect to the diversity and travel issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Travel media is super, super white, and we really need to change that. Mm -hmm. So one thing I always encourage people to do is to review what travel media you're engaged with. So this can include social media like Instagram and TikTok. There's tons of BIPOC travel influencers who aren't getting attention and Mm -hmm. who aren't getting the attention and the love that they deserve on those platforms. So I always like to tell people, like, go through your list on Instagram and on TikTok and see who you're following. And if it isn't diverse, diversify it. It's so easy to Mm -hmm. do. And it really helps support um, BIPOC creators in the space. Mm -hmm. That's really a good idea. And I'm feeling a little conviction because I'm thinking back to we did like a month long backpacking trip through Europe and we planned the whole thing using Rick Steves videos, (laughs) which was really helpful. But I'm like, yeah, Rick Steves 
not like I mean he's an old white guy so well that's the problem right like there's like actually not a lot especially when it comes to mainstream media like there is not a lot of mainstream especially travel television like travel shows there's barely like even female representation when you look at very mainstream travel media so that's why I love going to the social platforms because it's you can really access diversity there. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I think to what you said, I feel like a lot of people could relate to that because I know when we did our big trip overseas, like we, you know, we're picking out what cities we want to go to and how many places can we visit like in a month and all this stuff. And it's like, I had to get it through my mind that we weren't going to be able to like understand a a whole country just with three nights in one city or whatever. And I mean, that would be like if someone came for me to the United States and they were like, okay, what, what one city should I go to, to get a feel for the whole country? It's like, (laughs) what? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 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 So, so I think that's a great point about the diversity within countries that every country is so diverse. So, okay. What about, um, so your next tip is avoid, avoid contributing to over tourism. So what is over tourism exactly? So over tourism is when there's too many tourists in a place and it starts to overwhelm local communities. Um, so the way you can see this is that it will contribute to displacement of local residents. It can cause damage to natural environments, Um, It can endanger protected species, and it can actually sometimes threaten the local way of life. Mm -hmm. And I'll use Venice as an example, again, because I lived there. I had a little inside view of what tourism was doing. One of the big complaints Mm -hmm. there was that prices were driven up so much on the island of Venice that local Venetians were being pushed out. And I was Mm -hmm. learning that actually not a lot of local Venetians live there anymore. The only people that live there are working directly in tourism. So that's like an example of how especially an urban city, can be drastically changed by over-tourism. Yeah, that's so sad. So how do we avoid over-tourism? Like, especially if, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, man, but, you know, most people would want to go to Venice. So what, what do you do? Do you just have to avoid those places or how do you avoid over-tourism? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one approach that some people take. They just opt to skip places that are clearly really overrun with tourists. Yeah. So that would mean like instead of picking mainstream destinations, go for something less popular. And that's not always like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So for example, like the Thai islands are super, super popular, Mm -hmm. but I decided to go to the Cambodian islands instead. And Mm -hmm. I will argue that they are just as beautiful. They just have not had the same attention that Thailand has had historically. So they haven't really caught the eye of the tourism industry in the same way. Mm -hmm. So I actually would say, like, if you're interested in going to a destination, but you know that it's very crowded with tourists, just do a quick Google and see if you can find something similar that's maybe a little less known. Yeah. And probably more affordable that way. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But I also recognize that specific places tend to become popular for a reason. So, of course, not everyone is going to be willing to skip a spot that's on their bucket list. And if that's Mm -hmm. the case, I like to encourage people to consider something that I call second city tourism. And all this means is visiting a second less popular place after you visit the bucket list place. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a good example is Amsterdam. Uh It is a city that has publicly acknowledged that they're struggling with over tourism. But of course, like people want to go there because 
It's amazing. So if you do, you can counter the impact of visiting Amsterdam by visiting a less popular city. So you could go to like The Hague or to Leiden. And by doing this, you spread your tourism dollars a little bit further. And you can also help to build up the reputation of other Dutch destinations. And that down the road will help to spread out the impact of tourism. Oh, that's really cool. And actually, we when again, I'm going to keep referencing like my big international trip, because that's like the most I've ever seen. But on our trip, we stopped one night, we did, I think we did like three or four different cities in Italy. And one night, my husband was like, I just need a break from the city. Like it, it was really overwhelming. I mean, to go from I mean, we were in Paris and we were in Munich and then we were in Rome and then, you know, like it's, that's just a lot. And so we stopped one night in this little town. It was just like, I don't even remember where we were going. I think we were between like Florence and Rome maybe, but it was just a little stop on the way, this tiny little town called Camuccia. And I, I think that's how you pronounce it. And they had like, you know, just a couple hotels and a couple of restaurants and we ended up just getting a hotel room there and the only place that had wi-fi was one coffee shop (laughs) so we had to go there to like figure out you know our plans for the next day and where we were going to eat and we kind of made friends with the coffee shop owner and he was so nice and helped us get reservations at this amazing restaurant and that was still one of our favorite meals of the whole trip and it ended up being one of our favorite stops because we were able to like hike around the town and they had all this beautiful greenery and it was something, I mean, we couldn't have done that in a bigger city because there's so many people. And so, yeah, I, I highly recommend to anybody traveling, like to find a lesser known city, because I think that was honestly more fun than some of the bigger cities and seeing the, you know, the, the big like destinations, like in Rome, we went to, you know, the Trevi Fountain, but it's like, it was crowded the entire time. Like, (laughs) you know, we couldn't really enjoy it for what it was. So So, I will never forget going to I went to Versailles and I was dreaming of going there like my entire life. I was so excited. And it was just the most disappointing experience because the entire time I was like fighting to get to places where I could actually see things because there were so many people in there. So I actually think like over tourism isn't just a problem for like the locals and um, the city itself. Like it doesn't make for a very pleasant experience for tourists either. Yes, that's, that's so true. Yeah. Okay, uh, your next tip is to support local economies. So, I mean, obviously most people understand what that means, but could you give us a few examples of the best ways to do that? Yeah, um, I would say the best way is to avoid investing your tourism dollars into foreign or government-owned companies. So, for example, if you're in Italy, you'll want to skip Starbucks and instead go for like the little cafe next door. The other thing I like to tell people is if you're looking to buy or go on a tour, it's really important to ensure that your tour company is owned, operated by, and hires local people. Okay. Okay. And that's something you can figure out just by browsing around their website. I also find that looking at reviews can give you some good insight into what's going on in the company. Yeah. And then a few other ways are to buy directly from markets and eat in small restaurants and stay in locally owned hotels and hostels. So stay away from the chains and look for the smaller businesses. Mm -hmm. And then if you're ever unsure about how local a restaurant or a hotel is, like I said, you can read through online reviews because often in there you'll be able to figure out who is operating or who owns the business. Mm -hmm. And that's a really great clue as to whether it's local or not. Okay, cool. 
all those things that you just said too I feel like are things that just make traveling so much more fun anyways like why would you go all the way to a different country and then just go to Starbucks when you have that at home. <laughs> it's so true. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Like those will just make your trip more enjoyable anyways. But okay, number, I think we're on number four. You said don't worry about country counting, which I had never heard of that term before. So can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So this one can be a bit controversial, but I think mm-hmm. it's important to talk to, talk about. Yeah. So country yeah. counting is when people put a lot of emphasis on how many countries they've been to. And I see it uh-huh. a lot in the blogging community. And you'll sure. notice it on Instagram, like someone will put in their bio, this is how many countries I've, I've traveled to. Uh-huh. And I mean, there's nothing like really wrong with it. I just find that this trend shifts the focus and the value of travel away from experiences and it places the focus on favoring quality over quantity. Yeah. So kind of another mindset shift. Yeah. So I actually don't think country counting like is entirely bad. I like I can tell you how many countries I've been to. I just don't make it like part of my blog identity or like yeah. the badge of honor yeah totally. yeah I think like if you're trying to be a responsible tourist I think there should be some emphasis on keeping the focus on experiences because that's what matters yeah which actually kind of goes hand in hand with your next tip which is to travel slowly and when I was reading about this I was like this I I really should have read this all before we did our backpacking trip because I was like, again, how many places can we fit in in a month? So I wish I had come across you before our trip. But yeah, I really liked reading about this. So can you tell us what you mean by slow travel? Yeah. I mean, first, I'm just going to say like I am guilty of it too. I did lots of like city hopping when I traveled around Europe. It was like – yeah two days maximum in one city. I think like Europe especially is known for that because it's just so well connected and you can buy like the cheapest flight. So you can literally like fly somewhere for 20 euro. So that like kind of points to how some of these issues are very like structural. Like the onus isn't just on tourists themselves. Like there is an onus on companies to restrict the way that we're traveling. But yeah, yeah, I like to talk about revisiting places because I think it's not often talked about and it can be super rewarding. Mm-hmm. So for example, I've traveled now to Ireland three times and every time mm-hmm. I've had a different or new experience, I just find that whenever you return to a place, you get a fresh perspective and it also just mm-hmm. means you're able to see more of a country and get to know its culture even better. Mm-hmm. So that, that ties into traveling slowly. Mm-hmm. Which I guess I would define slow travel as emphasizing connecting to the places that we visit. So it means Mm -hmm. spending as long as you can in a place rather than trying to just like tick off as many cities as you can in a week. Yeah. And there's many benefits to slow travel. I would say a lot of them directly support responsible tourism. So it allows you to spend more time in a place, which means that you can get to know the culture and the people better. And it also means that you're investing more tourism dollars in that place. Mm -hmm. And it also is good for the environment because the less you're hopping on a plane or hopping on a bus or a train, the less impact you're having um, with overland or air travel. Yeah, I really like that tip. And I know for some people, like it might feel like, well, I have to do as much as I can because when am I going to be back here? And that's what I was kind of telling myself going into the trip. And one of my friends was like, if you really value traveling, like you will be back. Like you, you can go back to the places that you like or 
you can go another time and go to the places you didn't get to visit. Like, don't see it as just, you know, I, this is once in a lifetime because it doesn't have to be. Like, it's all about, you know, I mean, obviously, like we've talked about, there's some element of travel privilege, but I would guess that for most people who are listening to this podcast, they are in a country where they're able to travel and whatnot. And so I just feel like it's all about where we put our priorities. Like if traveling is a priority for you, you're going to save for it and you're going to make time for it. So don't have the mindset of like, ah, if I don't like this is the only time I'll ever be here before I die. Like, cause it doesn't have to be that way. Totally. I met this guy when I was in India and I met him on a train and just in chatting with him, I learned that he, so I think he must've been in like his late forties. He told me that he came to India the first time when he was in his early Uh twenties, fell in love, has not traveled to any other country. He was like, every year I just come back to India for like at least a couple weeks. And he's done it every year since the first time he went. So he just found a place loved and decided that's the only place I ever want to go which is totally awesome right that is awesome I mean why not if you know you love it that's like us in Hawaii we go we go to Hawaii all the time and as much as I want to go to new places it's like Hawaii is just like my happy place and it's comfortable and like you said the more the more times you go back somewhere like the more you learn and you get a new experience every time and yeah you just kind of get comfortable there so you enjoy going back yeah yeah really cool Okay, your next one was something I I feel like I'm going to say this about a lot of them, but I totally never thought of this, but it was really interesting. Be mindful about what photos you take and share. So can you explain that for us? Yes. So there's definitely a trend, especially when you look at social media, of people showing sharing images of people that they encounter on their travels. And this tends to happen a lot when people go to underdeveloped countries. Sure. And you get the impression that a lot of the time there hasn't been consent for those photos. Mm -hmm. So the main point is that unless you have explicit permission from a person, sharing their image is not consensual. And that can have repercussions on that person or their community. And one of the biggest culprits that it perpetuates is the white savior complex. Now, Uh this is a super dense topic to get into. Right. So I'm actually going to point listeners to a better resource than I am. Okay. To learn about the white savior complex and how it relates to tourism, I would head over to No White Saviors on Instagram. And they also have a podcast. And actually, I interviewed them for my podcast as well. And they just do like a really amazing job of pointing out how sharing photos of people without their consent, especially in Uganda, which is where they're based, has had a terrible impact on their communities. So I really recommend um, engaging with them a little bit. They've been an amazing learning resource for me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you like, obviously taking photos is a big part of traveling. So I think the main point is just to be as intentional as you can be and be transparent with the intentions you have when taking a photo. So Mm -hmm. if you'd like to take a photo of a local person for your travel blog or for your Instagram, just let them know. You can simply just ask hey, is it okay if I share this with my family or share it on social media? Right. And then the second step is to be sure that they know exactly what you're saying. Like if there's a language barrier, that's not really consent. Like you really need to understand explicitly yeah. that they they know what you're asking. Yeah. 
And then I think the other part of it is thinking about why you're sharing a specific photo. When I interviewed No White Saviors, they shared with me a lot of They were just very disappointed saying that they've noticed like a lot of tourists that come to Uganda tend to share photos of slums or like impoverished children and communities. And they Mm -hmm. were explaining to Mm -hmm. me like, this is not representative of our country. Like this is a glimpse that's being shaped by tourists and it's not actually accurate. And so Uh, they, their point was to, when you travel somewhere, you're traveling there to see what it has to offer to see the good in a place. And that's what we should be highlighting when we share images of our travels. That makes sense because then when other people see that, then they're probably thinking, well, I don't want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's really interesting. Thanks for explaining that. All right. Your next tip is to be conscious of cultural appropriation. So I'm guessing some people haven't heard of this term. So can you explain what cultural appro- appropriation is? Totally. So in very basic terms, it's when a person adopts elements of a culture that is not their own. And it tends to become controversial when members of a dominant culture appropriate from disadvantaged minority cultures. Okay. So I think a classic example, you see this like a lot at music festivals, is when white people show up dressed in cultural indigenous clothing. Okay. And that sort of demonstrates the power imbalance. Um, indigenous people obviously are a marginalized group in both Canada and the US. So unless you have a relationship to that culture, it's not really your place to be wearing it, especially in the context of a costume. Mm-hmm. I think what's complicated is that it's a really complex issue with a lot of gray areas. Yeah. And obviously, since a lot of travel revolves around experiencing and learning about other cultures, it can be very, very tough to figure yeah. out what is and what isn't cultural appropriation like right. for for example we've had people reach out to our podcast asking us like very direct questions like okay if i buy this piece of clothing in a market in vietnam is that considered cultural appropriation and that's like how it can become so complicated when you're traveling yeah that that is hard because you might be thinking like oh, i want to support like a local maker and get this really cool souvenir that i can take and wear and like not necessarily bad intentions or anything with it but it might come across differently than you intend it to is that essentially what you're saying yeah absolutely a big part of the picture is taking the time to understand the meaning mm-hmm. of the object so say you buy a piece of traditional clothing in vietnam that's okay but I would caution you to do some research on what that object is. It could have very specific meaning within the the context of the culture. And so you want to make sure that you're showing it appreciation and not um, wearing it more in the context of like a like Halloween costume, for example. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. And I feel like that can easily be understood if you talk to whoever you're buying it from. I mean, maybe maybe it's not that simple, but I feel like you could learn a little bit about the culture that way and ask, you know, whoever made the item or whoever is selling the item. And that way you have a good understanding of appropriate uses, right? Yeah, that's that's an awesome way to do it. Like, that's a great tip. I would definitely do that. Okay. Cool. I think in my blog post, I talk about like two ways that you can help yourself avoid culturally appropriating. Right. So yeah, I talk about respect and context. So the respect means just asking yourself if you're participating in a tradition or if you're wearing traditional clothing, if you're doing it out of honor or out of imitation. Mm -hmm. So imitation is more like, oh, just 
I think it looks cool or I want to wear this as a costume out of honor signals that you're showing respect for the culture. Uh-huh. And it also includes this like little element that we've touched on about understanding, just making sure that you're aware of the significance, the meaning, the history of that object or of the tradition or the clothing. Yeah. And then when we think about context, that refers more to like thinking about the situation that you're currently in. So for example, like if you're on a tour somewhere, you're often going to be invited to participate in a tradition Uh or you might be invited to wear cultural clothing. And if it's an invitation, that's much different than choosing to take that item or that tradition yourself. Sure. So it's important to consider whether you're participating for the sake of learning about a culture or to perpetuate a stereotype. Hmm. That's good. I feel like that's even even for non-travelers, that's like a good good thing to think about because, you know, many of us like in the US and Canada, we live in multicultural communities. So that's good to know. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of this applies to life at home as well. Yeah, for sure. So many ways that we can view travel differently than a lot of popular bloggers or travel influencers would have us believe, right? I loved so many of Erin's points today, like diversify who you are getting travel information from, be mindful of who and what you take photos of while you're traveling, consider going to lesser known destinations, and slow down your travel. That one really hit me. Like I said, I wish I had found her years ago so I could have had this advice, but I'm so glad I met her when I did because this is going to impact my travel whenever I'm able to do it again. I'm sure you learned so much from Erin, and I would love to hear what you thought of the show, so connect with me on social media and tell me what you learned, or even better, post about it on social and tag me and Erin. We would both love to hear from you. The links to connect with us and links to anything else Erin and I referenced today are in the show notes, so you can scroll down to view those on whatever app you're listening to or go to my website, heartfelthippie.com. And once again, don't forget about leaving a review for the show and also subscribe to the show so that you know when part two is available. That will be up next week, but you can subscribe on whatever app you're currently listening on and that way the next available episode will automatically be downloaded onto your phone. Thank you again so much for tuning in and we'll be back next week for part two with Erin. Until then, shift your mindset to be more mindful of the privileges in your life and shift your mindset to think about slowing down and enjoying what you have around you and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out. Remember things you said, how things would always be.